Well, I wonder if we can turn our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 17. Now, we've been in this chapter, chapter 17, for the last three or four Sundays. And our studies have centered around uh, a number of contrasts that we see. First, we saw the contrast between the man who trusts in the flesh, trusts in himself, uh, as forsaken the Lord and trusts himself. And uh, we saw that he was likened to a dried up shrub in a desert place with no fruit whatsoever. You know, and as opposed to the man who trusted in the Lord, who was likened to a tree that was planted by the water, whose fruit was always there and whose leaf, leaves were always green. And then, secondly, we saw how serious the situation was in Judah. We saw it on a national level, we saw it on a family level, we saw it on a personal level. How their sins were like deep gouges on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of the altar. And then last week we saw the glaring contrast between the person who trades on the Christian experience of others rather than cultivating a personal relationship with God. Well, on the other hand, the man of faith emerges as one who sees beyond the trappings of life, the hardships of life, and especially the hardships of the Christian life, and looks not so much to the temple in Jerusalem, of course that's uh, of no consequence to us at the moment, but the heavenly throne room of God. That's what we saw last week. And uh, he sees the majesty of God. He sees the glory of God. He sees the sovereignty of God and the grace of God. You know, I think as we've been in the presence of the Lord this morning, I think we've had a taste of the glory of God and uh, the majesty of God. We've looked beyond our circumstances. You know, if we looked at our circumstances and looked at uh, the number of people that are among us this morning, perhaps we would get down and depressed or discouraged. But then we realize that God was here. Instead of looking to the earthly temple, as some people do, and the trappings of life that could discourage us, we looked at the heavenly throne room of God. That's where we've been this morning. We've been worshipping at the throne of God Himself. And it makes all the difference. Because then everything else then seems to pale into insignificance as the majesty of God comes into view. The glory of God, the sovereignty of God, and the grace of God. It's been wonderful to be in this place this morning. And now as we come to the last couple of thoughts that this chapter will bring to mind. And again we are faced with a contrast between Jeremiah's state of mind and God's call to action. There's the contrast that we've been looking at this morning. Jeremiah's state of mind and God's call to to action. Verses 15 to 18 says this. Indeed they say to me, says Jeremiah speaking, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. As for me, I have not hurried away from being a shepherd who follows you, nor have I desired the woeful day. You know what come out of my lips. It was right there before you. Do not be a terror to me. You are my hope in the day of doom. 
Let them be ashamed who persecute me. But do not let me be put to shame. Let them be put, let them be dismayed. But do not let me be dismayed. Bring on them the day of doom and destroy them with double destruction. You see what type of mood he's in this morning. <laughs> it's obvious that when you read that passage of scripture, you can see that Jeremiah is beginning to flag a bit. His resolve is weakening and his desire to see the Lord's will being done or becoming a reality has been buried under a burden of despair. And I think I said a couple of weeks ago that Jeremiah was a type of person who let you know how he feels. You know, that type of person that when you ask him how are you, they tell you the whole, the whole lot. Everything will come out. So you tend not to ask those type of people how they are. You just say, how be? <laughs> you know, because uh, he's this type. You know, he's the type of fella that uh, he's going to tell you exactly what he's going through. But when you read and understand what's happening here, you can't really blame him. He's been put under an awful lot of pressure. You know, he's been put under an awful lot of pressure because he got a message that doesn't sit very comfortably with the people that he's preaching to. I don't know if that's the case here, but sometimes you have to preach a message that isn't comfortable to the people who are listening to you. And he is suffering. Because he has a, a nation on the one hand who are slipping away from God and he has a God on the other hand who wants to chasten them. Wants to bring them back to where they ought to be. You know, and the messenger seems to be getting it in the neck every time. And I suppose that's typical because, you know, this is typical of people who are engaged in any form of Christian ministry. You see, whatever we've been called to do in his service, and I want to tell you this morning again, like I've told you many, many times, that we've all been called into the service of the Lord. It's not just the few that uh, uh, inhabit the pulpit or uh, play the instruments or whatever. We've all been called into his service, and no one is less important than anyone else you see whatever you've been called to do is important you know, and whatever you've been called to do is as important as anyone else you know this is a Christian fellowship it's, that's the name that we've put on our board outside we are Emmanuel Christian Fellowship and as a fellowship we de each depend upon each other to function as a fellowship you know as a fellowship we are a vital unit in the army of the Lord. No, we are here to try to infiltrate the kingdom of the enemy with the gospel of salvation, the gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ. That's why we are here. You know, we're not here to have jollies on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night. We are here to be prepared to reach the, the people in the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And therefore every one of us 
as a ministry. We have a ministry inside the church, and it varies with every person's gifts and talents. It will vary as to those who will shake hands at the door, those that will cook in the kitchen, those that will clean, those that will sing, those that will play, those that will preach. Of course it varies. You know, and every one of them, those ministries, as I've said, are as important as the other. But there is a bigger ministry that we are all involved in. And that is infiltrating the darkness of this world with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where we're at. Well, that's where we should be at. That's what should be our overriding purpose in life. And that is to bring life and light into the darkness of death that surrounds us. And therefore we're all like Jeremiah. He's no different from us. And we all have a message that doesn't sit comfortably with the people that we are preaching to. And therefore there will be times when we will feel exactly like him. But we will say, why? Why have I been chosen to do this? Why can't I just live my life as I want to? I love the Lord. Why can't I just get on with it? Why have I got to stand up here and say this? Or why have I got to stand up and do this? It's because you've been called into a ministry. And it's not always easy. And it's not always exciting. And it's not always fruitful. And it's not always encouraging. So whatever we've been called to do, there will be times when we'll come to a brick wall rather more quickly than we would have liked. You know, we could call it, I suppose, spiritual burnout. Uh, Jeremiah's love for his countrymen was beginning to show signs of despair. Now, he's got a bit of a problem within because he knows in his heart that the word of the Lord that God has given to him is a powerful word. And he knows it has to be preached. And he knows it won't sit comfortably with people. But he knows he has to be to preach it because he's been called. This word has become a part of him. And he knows that the word that he has is not what people want to hear. And he knows that they won't listen. And he knows that they won't take heed. You know, isn't he rather like us in so many ways? You see, the world and, and, and indeed people in the church, are they are waiting for something more palatable. They are waiting for something that will excite them, comfort them, or even condone their actions. You know, I remember in, back in, before this, this century started, it was in the time of uh, Margaret Thatcher, I think, when one of the high-ranking Christians in the country took the Tories to task about something. I can't remember what it was, but it's, it's, in my, it's lodged in the back of my mind. That he'd said something to them, and uh, one Tory got up, you know, and it's not a political broadcast, one Tory got up, because they were in power at the time, and he says... We don't want the church interfering in this. What we want them to do is look after the poor. And make sure there's morality. And make sure there's this. and make sure. You see, they wanted the input of the church. But they didn't want the input of the gospel. 
They didn't want they wanted God's opinion on things, but they didn't want his opinion on other things. And that's what we have here. We have a nation that's Gordon, Jeremiah. Where's the word of the Lord? Give us the word of the Lord. For goodness sake, that's what your job is. That's what you're being paid for. Give us the word of the Lord. But we don't want that stuff that you've been talking about. We don't want to hear any of that nonsense. Tell us something that will excite us. Tell us something that will comfort us. Tell us something that will condone what we're doing. They are. Goading him. Asking him for a word. Come on, Jeremiah. This is what you were supposed to be. Tell us what God is saying. Why don't you wow us with some wise words? When all the time, Jeremiah knew that whatever God had to say to them would wound their pride, would rub them up the wrong way, and would cause enmity between them and him. You know, and that's an awful position to be in. That's a terrible position to be in. You know, I went to uh, I went to the news agents one morning this week, and you know the spot it is where we buy our paper, and on the door, you know that right on my eye level, was a flyer that had been pinned or blue tacked to the inside, and it was advertising a psychic evening where love and assurance would be on the menu. And I thought to myself, I, lo- I thought of that psychic, and I thought, you lucky so-and-so, you've got nothing bad to say to anybody. All that you're going to say is encourage people, make them feel good about themselves. It's going to brighten up their day. It's going to do this, it's going to do that. And everybody's going to come, and they're going to be warm, and have lovely emotional feelings, and they're going to go home on top of the world. You lucky so-and-so's. Because we can't do that. We can't do that. Wouldn't it be so easy if we could go out into the community this morning and tell them that everything is going to be alright. That everyone is going to be blessed both in this life and in the next. But we can't. You see the word that we have, the word that God has given to us is a word of warning. What does Jesus say? Flee from the wrath to come. Or John the Baptist said, flee from the wrath to come. Yes, we might present, or we are able to present, a loving God, who in grace has sent his only begotten Son into the world to effect our reconciliation and deal with our sins. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. He's someone to get to know because he's warm and embracing and comforting. But the problem with us is we also have to describe a God who is righteous and must punish sin. You know, and we know that yes, the nation wants wants God to say something to it, but they don't like what he's got to say. You know, how do you cope? With such a situation. How impossible it seems to walk along such a a thin tightrope without falling one way or the other. And this is the lament of Jeremiah as he pours out his heart to God. You know, perhaps, yes, he's letting his frustrations get the better of him. 
But of course we've all been there. Perhaps we are there now. Let our frustrations get the better of us. But we know what he's going through. I would say. I know what he's going through anyway. Because we've, we've all experienced such a contradiction in our own hearts. The love of God. The justice of God. You know, and the love of God will be of no value to anyone if we don't first talk about the justice of God. Because the love of God presents an answer to the question that the justice of God has raised. And if we haven't got the justice of God, then there is no question. And therefore Christ fails to become the answer. So it's a thin tightrope that we have to walk. And yet, walk it we must. If we are to do the bidding of the Lord, if we are to be obedient to his call, if we are to be about our father's business. Like with Jeremiah, there'll be times when we'll be excited about it. There'll be times when we will wish we'd never ever been confronted with it. Because it's difficult. It's difficult. And there we have the mindset of Jeremiah, the the moan or the groan or the rant of Jeremiah but then secondly and in contrast we come to God's call to action and I'm going to read verses 19 to 27 to us thus the Lord said to me go and stand in the gate of the children of the people by which the kings of Judah come in and by which they go out and in all the gates of Jerusalem. And say to them, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, who enter by these gates. Thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourself, and bear, and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day. Nor do any work. But hallow the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. But they did not obey nor incline their ear. But made their neck stiff. That they might not hear nor receive instruction. And it shall be if you heed me carefully says the Lord. To bring no burdens through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day, to do no work in it, then shall enter the gates of this city kings and princes, sitting on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses. They and their princes, accompanied by the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. And they shall come from the cities of Judah and from the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin and from the lowland, from the mountains, from the south, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and incense, bringing sacrifices of praise to the house of the Lord. But if you will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden, when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. I do think you can complain there that God is being ambiguous. 
I think he's told us exactly what he thinks. If, then. But, then. What does God want him to do? You know, I think the key or the secret of this passage of scripture is the word or the words to do. You see, as Christians, perhaps with a little, a bit of burnout uh, that we may experience on occasions, we can sit forever and mourn our lot and groan about the mountain we have to climb. But that will be of no use to us whatsoever. See, yes, there'll be times when we'll be like Jeremiah. There'll be times when we mourn our lot and wish we had something else to do or something else to say. But if you're going to stay in that, then you will have been of no value to God. You will be no value to yourself. And you'll be no value to the people that are out there waiting for the word. We sang this morning... These are the days of Elisha declaring the word of the Lord. Here we are. And that's what is needed to be done. You know what? We can sit there and mourn. It will be no use to us. So whenever we do get to such a place as we see Jeremiah here, then God says, get up and do something. You know, the key is the word go. Go. You know, if there ever was a a word that would explain or define the Christian walk with God and the the Christian service for God, then it would be the word go. Go and proclaim. Go and tell. Go and preach the gospel. You see, the command of God to us is always to go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel was one of the last phrases that God ever said. Jesus ever said before he went back to heaven. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go! Jeremiah, stop sitting there moaning about yourself, complaining about your lot, Oh, it's all getting on top of me. Oh, it's too much for me. Stop sitting there and being like that. But go and do something. It's great advice. It's great wisdom. You know, and Jeremiah's message couldn't have been clearer. As we can see, go and stand in the gate and tell the people what I am telling you now. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, said Jesus. I've told you what the gospel is. Now go and preach it. You know, there were blessings promised. There were curses promised. And it all hung on their reaction to the gospel or to the truth. You see, when we preach the gospel, all of us, Whoever we are, there will always be a reaction, one way or another. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that we will, when we preach the gospel, we will be the savour of life to all those who believe, but we will be the smell of death to all those who reject. Now there are two reactions to the gospel. Those that receive and those that reject. Now our uh, mandate has got nothing at all to do with the reaction. Our mandate is to preach the gospel. 
The reaction is someone else's business. But there will always be a reaction. There will be those that will reject. And they will think that your words are stinking. And there will be those that will receive. And will think that your words are wonderful. The outcome is not ours to decide. But the gospel is ours to preach. Now the strange thing about this message that Jeremiah is about to preach is it seems to center around something that we wouldn't consider to be important today. And that is the Sabbath. It centers around the Sabbath. Now that could be an emotive subject were we in different company. But what is God signifying by the Sabbath? What does he mean? What does it mean to us? Now we can understand what it means to them. But what does it mean to us? What does it mean? What does he, he say in? You wonder, um, of course, the Sabbath. Most would see the Sabbath as a day full of restrictions. You mustn't do this. You mustn't do that. You mustn't go here. You mustn't go there. There's this, there's that. And it all seems to be very restrictive. And there seems to be a bondage attached to the word Sabbath. But when you read the scriptures, you will find that the Sabbath, God designed it for freedom. Freedom. In fact, Jesus says that, didn't he? He says, the Sabbath... What did he say? Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. I think I got that right. In other words, the Sabbath is there to be enjoyed, not to be endured. The word actually means rest. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm on that already. I've got to be honest. I like rest. Work, I like work. I love, be, I love working. And I work as much as I can. But rest, oh, you know, that's the problem when you retire. You know, talk to somebody, the, the only problem with retiring, you don't get holidays. You know, there's no rest. You're in it all the time. Look at Janice by there now. She's got nothing to do all day, but it, but and, and, you know, nothing at all to do. And then the holidays come, and she's got nothing at all to do. It, it makes no difference whether it's on holidays or not. You know, when you, there's no looking forward to that rest anymore. I do. I love rest. So I'm with God already. <laughs> rest from your labors. Now, in the physical, of course, God wants them to forget that they are laborers. Forget that they are laborers. That's what he wants. That's what the, the Sabbath is. Forget that you're laborers. Don't carry burdens on a Sunday or a Sabbath, I should say. Don't go, don't go down that road. Don't carry burdens on a Sabbath. Don't bring them burdens out of your house. Don't bring burdens into the, into the city. Rest. Forget that you are laborers. Forget that you have work to do to sustain yourself. Forget that it is by the sweat of your brow that you must live. Now when you put it like that, you begin to realize that what God wants you to forget on the Sabbath is what has been brought on us because of sin. You see, there was no labor 
before. There was no sweat and toil before. There was no weeds and thorns before. These have come because of sin. You know, we have to work by the sweat of our face in order to provide for ourselves. So what God is saying, look, for one day of the week, forget that you have to do these things. Forget the consequence of sin. Rest in me. And that's what the Sabbath is. Forget the consequence of sin and rest in me. You see, the consequences of sin will cause us to live under the burden of sin. But God says, on the Sabbath, forget about the burden of sin and enjoy the rest of God. Just for one day. Don't be peasants anymore, but be kings for a day. You know, when you come to the Sabbath, in the words of Jim Bowen, this is what you could have won. This is what your life could have been, were it not for you a sin. So what is the Sabbath? It's a word, it's a picture of God's blessing. It's a picture of life without sin. It's a picture of what God is going to restore His people to. So it's not a restriction anymore. It's a blessing. It's something that we missed out on because of our sin. But God is saying, I'm preparing you by giving you a Sabbath to understand that eternity will be a time when you will be able to rest in me. Now I hope you can see the difference between what we think a Sabbath is and what God thinks a Sabbath is. You see, it's not a day of restriction. After all, we've made it that. No, it's a day of restoration. Where the consequences of sin are put to one side. In fact, it's a picture of heaven. Now if we looked at it spiritually, of course, it is a picture of Jesus. The Sabbath day is a picture of Christ because he is our rest. Joshua was supposed to be the one who brought rest to the people of Israel. As he brought them over the the Jordan, he would bring rest to their uh, journeyings and their problems and this and that. But the Bible says, if Joshua had given us a rest, why has Christ come? You see, there's no rest in Joshua's Rest, there's only rest in Christ's rest. Because now he has taken away completely, completely the bondage of sin and the consequence of sin. And for those of us who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are living continually in the Sabbath. That's our joy. That's our experience. Why? Because we've ceased from our strivings. No longer are we under the burden of sin. No wonder we are we in the bondage of sin. But now we're in the freedom of Christ. And all those things that tore into our hearts and tore into our minds have gone. Because Jesus has come and replaced them with his peace and with his joy and with his rest. It's Jesus who has done this. He is our rest. He is our rest. You see, he is the one who has reversed the effects of the fall, which includes separation from God 
on a Christless eternity. No, it was never intended that we, that we get hung up about what day to come to church on. You know, there are groups of people, because we think of the Seventh-day Adventists, they would look down their nose at us because we're here on a Sunday. They say, oh, we should be here on... It's nothing to do with that. The Sabbath has got nothing to do with what day you go to church on. You know, the reason why I come to church on a Sunday is because I don't go to work on a Sunday, and most of us are the same. And that's been the, the culture of Britain, you know, ever since. It was never intended for that it was always intended to show us that God has dealt with the burden of sin and no longer do we need to carry it out of our homes and into the city on any day at all it was never intended that we get hung up it was never intended to show us that God's rest it is, was intended to show us that God's rest is assured for all who put their trust in him of course this is the great divide that appears in humanity you know it's not Brexit it's not Boris it's not Trump it's not climate change these are not the things that divide us although they do it's Christ who divides us. He has come and brought division. He's cracked humanity in half. Because he has come to offer us his rest through grace. And there will be some that will receive. And there will be some that will reject. Go and stand by every gate, says God to Jeremiah. Go and stand by every gate and tell them and those who receive the king shall enter into this rest but those who reject listen to the the consequence God will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and it shall not be quenched so my last word to you on a Sunday morning as far as this is concerned don't just sit there moping and bemoaning you a lot because that will only depress you further get up and go and stand by every gate and tell everyone who enters the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and stand back and see God at work in their lives. Some will come, some won't. But at least they have been told the truth and given the option. And so the consequences are their own. The consequences are their own. You know, we're going into 2020. Now I'm thinking of speaking on 2020 vision next year. Because that's what we got. We got 2020 vision. You know, and next year is a brand new year. To stand, start getting up and going and standing by every gate in the city and telling them that there's a rest for their souls. Jesus said it, didn't he? All you are heavy laden and labor and, and depressed and come unto me. And find rest for your souls. That's the message we've got. 
Yes, it's unpalatable to start with, but it gets better as it goes along. Because there's rest in Christ. There's rest. You know, and hopefully next year, you know, we can't do anything about this year, or we can do something about the next five weeks, perhaps. You know, we can still get up in the next five weeks and stand by the gates and tell them about Jesus. You know, but as far as the last 40-odd weeks are concerned, we can't do anything about it. And perhaps we have done a little bit of sitting down and moaning about our lot. But let's uh, take this injunction from God this morning and get up and go and speak to every person that we come in contact with. And hopefully we will see many who will be rejoicing in God and in His rest along with us in the near future. That would be absolutely fabulous. But it will never happen until we get up and go. You see, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And the word gospel is only defined when it's proclaimed. Good news is no good if you keep it to yourself. It is not good news. But once you proclaim it, it becomes good news. And the gospel kept to yourself is not the gospel. Until you proclaim it, then it becomes the gospel.